Welcome to Keeping It Secure, the Hashicast show about security trends, cloud adoption challenges, and security innovation. Join your hosts, DevOps Rob and DevOps Adil, as we tackle the complexities of cloud security and industry-wide challenges. Keeping it secure. Um, what is this? Adil, is it like, what, the 11th or 12th episode or something like that? I think it's 12, I think. Episode. Uh, you know, I'm losing count. There's quite a yeah. lot. Right now. It's weird, you know, actually. Do you remember um, this started with... So when you join HashiCorp, you have to... Um, you have to do like a HashiCast recording. That's kind of part of the the kind of onboarding. Inauguration. Exactly, <laughs> right. Um, so I was like, okay, cool. And I think you were the person that I did it with. It was either you or Brian Krausen, right? But either way, I ended up doing a second episode. And it was with Adil. Now, the funny thing is, Adil and I used to have these one-to-ones every month. And we used to have the same conversations that you hear in this podcast, like, just in the one-to-ones. And one day, like, I was just like, you know what? We should just open source these conversations. Like, we should just jump on a HashiCast. And I thought it would just be an episode or two. And then here we are with our own show. Um, <laughs> anyway, let me introduce my co-host. You've already heard his voice. Uh, DevOps Adil, Batman, the real Batman. You know, he keeps calling me Batman, but I'm an imposter. How you doing, bro? I'm all right, Bruce. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, I, mate, honestly, uh, this is uh, uh, exciting times. As you said, you know, one of the things that I suppose we need to highlight here, like we talked about episode 11, episode 12, and what, uh, whatever that count is and how it all started. And we're still going, right? And, and th- that's amazing. It's that, honestly, this uh, we obviously named it Keeping It Secure and this whole state of security, all of that in the industry, it, it's, it's an attestment you know, to that this conversation is still relevant. It's still real. And there's so much that needs to be uncovered uh, uh, with bringing in, you know, all the different diverse type of people and uh, great timing that, you know, we're coming up to end of the year, kind of like not trying to do an end of year review like we did last year as well. Um, but uh, more exciting is um, the audience that we have today as well. And the guest that we've brought in, um, she is a uh, 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 infamous in the, oh, in the no. financial even. <laughs> in a, good, well, a good way right <laughs> she could be the she could be it uh you know was that the george clooney movie um with uh batman robin and then you had the batgirl coming in as well isn't it uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah all right i'll take i'll take batgirl happily <laughs> so uh sarah Pollard, you know what i i don't think i can't do uh, i can do justice uh uh introducing sarah but i'll, I'll try and then I'll let Sarah continue on there. <laughs> I, I Sarah, think you're probably far better at it than I am, to be perfectly honest. Oh, uh, well, well, I'll try. Sarah's, um, so she's our uh, field CTO for, for EMEA. Uh, she's come from a banking industry, actually, ABN AMRO, um, where she's done some significant uh, efforts uh, around the security area, um, working under the CISO organization, and has really... Uh, essentially pretty much you know a bit of both rob and i are both our roles put together really as like those evangelism as well as actually you know um influencing uh c-level suites and, and getting things moving and now today we're seeing a lot of that value coming in we're speaking to our execs uh sarah i'll let you kind of take it off from there i think you i think you nailed it um yeah i originally came from a software engineering background um and when it took me caveat here with permission 24 hours to hack my employer's application and own the database i kind of realized that security was probably a really solid life choice at that point 
Um, so I made the full pivot into security at that point, but never losing the development side of things. So I think we're at a really unique kind of juncture here where we can start looking at how to unify security and velocity and considering security a little bit more of a feature um, as opposed to just saying no all the time because it's just the nature of the beast now. We have to figure out how we're going to do better on the security side of things. So I'm super excited now to hopefully move some of that soapbox into the C-suite and uh, with some execs and maybe get those gears moving a little bit. Um, but yeah, obviously a huge HashiCorp fan um, and really came over to HashiCorp because I think the way HashiCorp looks at the market and the holistic workflow as opposed to trying to solve for individual tooling um, really does amazing things, both again, for the velocity and developer experience, um, but security wise as well, you know, it's not infrastructure as code, things like that. It's not just about enabling developers. It's also about making sure you have the proper control and you can put things like zero trust into place as well. So absolutely super excited to be here. Did you say 24 hours to own the database? Yeah. Yeah. I think that deserves a round of applause. Let's, let's... <laughs> I don't know about that. Maybe I do earn the name Infamous at that point. <laughs> nah, it definitely deserves a round of applause. And I just wanted to show off that I've got this new machine that can make all these cool sounds, you know. So, uh, you know, the show is about to step up. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Awesome. Right. So let's get into this. So, um, a few weeks ago, uh, HashiCorp released their second annual State of the Cloud report. Uh, you can remember last year, Dean and I did an episode where you know, we trawled through the report, we, we analyzed some of the findings, and we just discussed it in a bit more depth. Uh, I think with the introduction that, that Sarah has just given us, you can see that she's in a unique position to offer us a perspective that maybe Adil and I haven't uh, considered as we go through this year's uh, episode. I say this year, but I'm not actually sure when you're actually going to hear this episode um, to the audience out there. This is the week before Christmas. It's highly likely that you're not going to hear this talk the new year. So uh, it will be the state of the cloud survey for 2022. And you may be listening to this in 2023, but that's all good. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I take it you've both read the report. So uh, let, let's go to a deal first. Um, do you want to just kind of summarize your your initial kind of feeling about about the report and, and maybe a comparison in terms of your, your reflections from last year's report? So well, one quick thing for alignment. We are talking about the State of the Cloud Security Report 2022 for EMEA. Is that the one, right? That's the one. Yeah. So I quite enjoyed reading this one, actually. Um, so I was going through this uh, yesterday and uh, started kind of highlighting things. And I had a view, an opinion of the the uh, the reporters in the beginning. Uh, so I was initially basically jumping to conclusions quite uh, immediately, only to now kind of retract my thoughts and there to the end of the uh, uh near to the end of the report itself but yeah if i was to kind of summarize it um in essence uh, when it's talking about zero trust security it's something rob you and i we've always talked about this right it's that the, the term zero trust you know like devops it's kind of been uh, almost uh, hijacked and used for anything and everything just to call it zero trust um so i was quite pleasantly surprised that near to the end of the report that we're seeing that actually it is going into these assets to say look um that that the authentication authorization 
that shouldn't happen just once at the at the network. Rather, actually, each endpoint needs to have its own reauthentication and real authorization uh, um, for obviously any endpoints where you're accessing that data. Um, and finally, actually, one of the things they mentioned there is that considering let's consider the insider threat as well as the ex- the outsider threat, and obviously, and the essence of zero trust. At, at which point is that it, it's encompassing both the threats therefore and this is the reason why the perimeter control is no longer a principal control as such you know for mitigating that so for me that was the key takeaway that i had what i found interesting though is that the survey was conducted uh, uh in EMEA, obviously uh, amongst 400 decision makers so they really targeted the decision makers as opposed to their practitioners and which is i feel uh, adds a lot of substance to where the direction is going, i.e. as an organization, how much are they considering cloud security as part of their cloud transformation? So um, I thought it was well-placed as to the target audience for that survey. Um, yeah, I, 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 if I was to obviously give like a, a exact summary, that's where my, where my head is at. Fantastic, fantastic. I think what's interesting actually is um, that there's a part of the survey where it says that, uh, you know, cloud environments are secured as part of the general IT uh, security strategy. And that was only 23% of the respondents that, that reflected that view there. Um, I think why I find that so interesting is uh, when we think to back in the day when we had the whole um, castle and moat approach, we had an IT security strategy there. And then as we started moving to the cloud and and then even that is just the first hop. Once you start going multi-cloud, then that's another layer of complexity on top of that. Now your strategy needs to evolve uh, to include all of the nuances that uh, these strategies uh, bring to the forefront. Um, I find it interesting that 23% of, of organizations are securing that as part of the general IT strategy and, and wonder what that means. Does that mean that they are using kind of legacy strategic approaches to secure the cloud or are they devising a big IT strategy which has some subcomponents and, and what really are the key differences? Um, maybe, I don't know if Sarah can uh, shed some light on some thoughts on that. Yeah. I'm a little puzzled by this myself because I, I do think that the general cloud environments need to be considered more as that general IT security strategy also. Um, and especially, you know, we're looking at regulations coming down the pipelines that are more or less inhibiting um, specifically financial services from moving all the way into the cloud. So I think if I look at some of the customers that I've been speaking with recently, Initially, their their plan was to land 80% of their applications on cloud. Now they're rolling that back and saying, you know, with Shrems 2, the fall of the USEU shield, really, realistically, that's looking more like 50%. But if we also considering what's happening outside of the financial, financial services world when it comes to general architecture and the tendencies behind that, what we're seeing is this um, really explosion of microservices. And I think what that's ultimately going to mean is you're going to remain with these systems of record and your databases that remain on-prem, and then you're going to have portions of your application that reside in cloud. And somehow these things are going to have to start speaking to each other. So they really need to have that global security strategy because we 
we aren't just targeting one or the other. We're looking at how do these services communicate with each other? And again, it's also how do we leverage these the best way possible and the most secure way possible? So where is that middle line? How are we ensuring that there's adequate latency, um, but that somebody's not going to be able to pivot laterally once they've gained access to a micro microservice that's on the cloud? Um, so from, I would love to see that number go up in the coming year. I think that would indicate to me that people are really starting to understand the complexity of what's really going to start happening with some of these architectures. What would you think is going to take for, for, for that to happen? <clears throat> what would you think would, would really spur people into action and, and maybe start to rethink um, how they are approaching these things. Is there anything that uh, that we as, as software vendors can do to kind of uh, help people? You know, to, I don't want to say take this more seriously because that, that that's kind of uh, insinuates maybe the wrong thing, but more uh, give it the the type of attention it requires uh, and the approach that is going to be beneficial for your organization and your customers. Yeah. So one of the advantages we have as a software vendor is we see financial services for sure, but we also get to see a large uh, cross-section of what's going on and specifically in each region. So we can see what's happening in the U.S., which tends to be a couple years ahead of us in terms of what they're implementing technically, but then also what are the telcos doing? And the telcos traditionally drive a lot um, of the architecture simply because they need to be at the forefront and their concern is cutting-edge technology particularly as we get more IoT in, in, on the market um, and edge computing really becomes more and more important. And I think that's eventually going to start translating into financial services because financial services is also going to have to start responding to some of these edge cases and how are they going to start linking some of these IoT and devices and all of these different things. And that complexity is really going to start driving that. Sadly, as with a lot of innovation, Frequently, a breach is one of the things that's going to start pushing people into realizing that, oh, this is this is a thing we really need to start looking out for. Um, and th that was another thing that I saw a little bit further down, and I don't remember the exact statistic, um, was talking about the overhead cost of implementing zero trust was just too heavy. Um, and I think we need to be really aware of return on investment when it comes to that. Security traditionally is really, really difficult to quantify in terms of risk, but when it does hit and when a breach does hit, it's really, really expensive. So how can we start moving in that direction holistically and planning and looking at data flows and applications and modern architecture, um, but without sacrificing some of the security? It's always a really, really difficult compromise to strike, I think, but it's becoming increasingly important that we understand how to do it. I think to, to add to um, Sarah's point about the microservices, which in at face value, it may look like you're increasing kind of the, the surface attack area, but actually if you try and counter that with saying the principle of least privileged access, then that could somehow obviously answer some of that to lateral movement, but coming back to Sarah's point and also kind of trying to answer Rob's question at the same time is that I think the report um, near down you know, towards page eight and page nine, it drives that piece home where it says that 
the whole zero trust security, uh, um, especially given the scope of the attack and all of that stuff, especially with, you know, as Sarah explained, you know, with the new kind of cloud era and microservices, it's seeping in, in the entire organization, at which point security shouldn't be seen as a siloed project, even DTS rather, you know, it needs to be actually, so coming back to that question or the, the concern around it's a massive investment. The only reason why it, it's, that concern, of course, that concern exists. Even I'm when I'm speaking to organizations, I hear about that and that, that and from the CISO organization that this is a, a, a massive investment. You need to take a step back, think about it, X, Y, Z. But the reason why they're doing that, a reason why they're taking that project is because they're already trying to see that it should be tackled siloed from the CISO in itself rather than actually being taken on uh, from the entire organization, i.e. distributed kind of uh, some kind of distributed responsibility after the single ownership. Um and like if I was to quote here, one of the things it said on page eight, but zero trust is not a single product to be installed, but rather a strategic approach in which the entire organization must be analyzed with appropriate security measures is taken. That in itself, right, is that if you were to take that seriously, you realize that, okay, given that every organization is going through a digital transformation as such, or a cloud transformation as such, right, it surely you know, moving forward, that there is where an opportunity where actually you don't need to bring too much investment, i.e. latch onto those existing transformation strategies and then be able to then add incremental security measures as part of anything. So with age transformation strategy, for example, they're looking to people and process, they're looking to hiring, they're looking to talent. Right? It, ZTS would, it would have relevance in all of those, right? It would have relevance on the people and process, looking at the talent incrementally. So therefore, how I see it is that really to go forward, it would mean that ZTS to be strategic and think, uh, you know, be smart about it, it would be like, okay, since you're already looking at talent, let's go ahead and start looking at adding some security talent in that. And since you're already looking at, um, I don't know, DevOps or CICD sort of pipelines, let's go ahead and start incrementally adding security measures in that. That CICD pipeline could be owned by tooling team. It could be owned by, you know, application team. So I feel like it's, it's driving that forward where the re report is not necessarily saying that, oh, latch onto transformation. But it is saying that the scope is pretty much just as, as, as much as the transformation project itself. So why add yet another transformation project rather latching onto the existing one is, is my thought there. I definitely agree. And I think it's important to understand that this is a thing that gets built out gradually and step by step. And, you know, one of the first steps, um, at least in my opinion, is to really put in place that infrastructure as code and make sure that you can industrialize across the board so that, if you need to tweak one thing, everything then has a response to that. I think the difficulty comes, as always, with culture, understanding what is the zero trust, what are we asking of people, and then for the decision makers and the 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 tech side of things as well, on the more architectural level, that's where it starts getting a little bit more complex, because what we're asking of people is really to take everything that they've known for the past 20 to 30 years of architecting and enterprise architecture and literally turn it on its side and say, okay, that's not efficient anymore because of how we're looking at the cloud and because we're dealing now with systems of engagement that are dealing with you know, inconsistent traffic patterns and logically secured as opposed to physically secured. Um, so it's very difficult sometimes to understand how to do that and what does that look like and what is the best way for a very large scale 
um, enterprise to to respond to that. Because in a lot of cases, you know, the these organizations are dealing with three thousand applications at a time, and changing one deployment factor for three thousand applications then becomes quite complex and can create bottlenecks. So we need to be sensitive about, you know, how are we talking about migrating to zero trust? Um, it's, in my opinion, absolutely the way to go. And it does need to happen across the security posture and not just for cloud. But how do you start picking and choosing that? Is, yeah, it's difficult. That's, yeah. I mean, and, and it's a, it's a, that's a strategic play, right? And it's going to be different org to org. Um, I also think how your organization is structured uh, makes a massive difference. Uh, I was speaking to a global um, banking uh, uh, a couple of months back and um, just looking at their org chart, I realized why the CISO's language was very uh, conducive to this kind of transformation is because the CISO was reporting to the CIO uh, and the CIO also owned the transformation aspect. Whereas another bank where I've, I've, I've spoken to um, and they're on the opposite end of that spectrum, you know, where they're having challenges. And then when you look at their org chart, well, the CIO and the CISO are peers uh, have naturally would probably have you know, uh, conflicting priorities. Um, I may not have a joined up story. So I do think that plays a, a, a larger part. Um, and I definitely feel like, you know, this is where, you know, Sarah and other field CTOs definitely going to play a role in it and trying to influence that from, um, from our organization, it's just rethinking and re-looking at that stuff. I think um, one of the things that is, and it might not sound alarming to a lot of people, but, you know, we we spoke to 400 companies and 2% of those companies, that equates to eight companies out of 400, do not have any concrete protection for cloud environments and do not plan to do so, right? Now, it might seem like it's only eight companies, but if we start to implement our own things at our companies that interact with their systems, whatever, maybe we're a customer or something like that, this starts to provide some levels of concern. Um, so whilst the number is small and it's probably smaller than it would have been a year ago, uh, I think there's still a lot of work to do there. Um, what do you think are the kind of driving factors as to why an organization would turn around and say, well, we, we're, we're not planning to any concrete protection in for our cloud environments um what do you think could be behind that that number there as small as it is but it still is can be significant it only takes one small company to be uh, uh breached uh, for for the rest of us to feel the side effects of that yeah i'd be really interested to know what they consider to be a concrete implementation um so are they just considering that the things that come out of the box with any of the major CSPs are not concrete. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, can't find the, the, the word uh, more intangible or more logical just to put into place. And that, that is just part of the cloud strategy. Um, or are they saying that really there's no security there whatsoever? I would be kind of inclined to say that it's probably the former as opposed to the latter. Um, but it, yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to know without kind of diving into what that thought process is and what it's, yeah, what's driving I think that. It's, it's all about the maturity here. So th this, this section of the survey is about, uh, kind of, um, how mature, uh, would you say your cloud, uh, security strategy is, um, mm -hmm. so yeah, your, your question definitely stands. I'm just trying to 
kind of add that context to see if anything lands with anyone because um, you know a company is still, is still significant enough, I think. Yeah, I mean the thing is, like you said, about twelve. Like, there's there's another stat here where it's like twelve percent of companies have suffered multiple successful attacks. Now, obviously, in the context of four hundred companies, that may not be a lot, but if if that's if the percentage remains true even at a larger uh, scope, then that's quite a lot of companies, right? Um, but what I found interesting, I tell you what, and I'm keen to hear others, uh, Sarah and, and Rob's opinion on this, is that there's yet forty two percent of companies were able to detect attack but managed to stop them, right? That got me thinking, well, I wonder how many had attacks but weren't detecting them, as in they didn't know that they were attacked, you know, uh, and that whole kind of detective control, as in that there's not been much, that was the only piece where I actually, I, I feel like they kind of only just about approached about the whole detective controls and detecting attacks, because surely I wonder what the stat looks like for, Companies where they have been attacked, but they didn't know about it. And how do you how do you uh, present that as 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 data? I suppose. I would wonder, at least in the twenty five percent that says they haven't been the target of cyber attacks. I don't know. <laughs> I that too. <laughs> um, I I would. I think that that's probably a very, very high number to what is actual reality. <laughs> well, that's the thing, right? Is that 25% then to say that maybe they don't have enough detective controls to realize that they've been attacked? Exactly. I don't I don't want to speculate and I don't want to say that, you know, everyone systematically has been breached, but... Oh, well, you know, I was reading this book, right, called uh, Black Box Thinking. Uh, one of the things that uh, they talked about is that the absence of data is data. And so it's an interesting part to think about as well. I don't know, Rob. Do you have any uh, any thoughts on that? I just think that um, it took you twenty four hours to own a database, right? Um, <laughs> I'm just saying the the, <laughs> the attackers that are out there. Sometimes they might own your database and you don't know it, and it's just not the perfect time for them to extract whatever value it is they're looking for from it. So they could sit on it for months, years, weeks, maybe. I don't know. Um, if you don't have the right controls in place. You, you won't know until it's too late, right? Um, now, what are the right controls? You know, that's a very, very difficult question to answer. It goes back to something that Adil was saying in the early days of the podcast about um, the whole honeypot idea of learning what type of attacks are coming your way so that you can better prepare to protect your your, your business value from that, um, in this case, the data. Um, I'm far more impressed with the 42% who have... Uh, had attacks and uh, were able to pr uh, prevent that. Even the 11% who had successful attacks against them, at least they kind of know. But I don't know if that's a simple effective controls or if they were exploited and, you know, maybe some ransomware and a demand was met. Um, if they have detected that and it's been successful, known, like, you know, known unknowns are a lot better than unknown unknowns. Um, so I, I'm not attacking the 25%. Uh, I'm definitely not doing that. What, what I am saying is that if you've never been a target of a cyber attack, try and validate that somehow. That's, that's it's super important to validate that because your strategy can't be rigid, right? Your strategy has to evolve with the climate that you're operating in. And things change. When you, when you suffer an attack, things change, right? Uh, priorities change. Your uh, approach changes. Sometimes even the technology has to change. Sometimes the people and processes has to change. It depends. 
Um, but you're not going to be able to make those changes unless you know that a change is required. So I would not be so confident of sitting here saying we've never been the target of a cyber attack. I would kind of sit there thinking, hmm, are we sure? This about goes that? back to exactly, but and, and this goes back to my argument, uh, uh, as you said, Rob, about what's the real definition of defense in depth, as in like. There's the, the the common definition, the notion of defense in depth is adding layers of, of preventative controls or controls, preventative controls or to perceived risks, which we we are haven't have an, a system in place to validate whether these risks actually exist or not. Um, and then there's the other notion, that the, the military notion, or where the original term defense in depth has come from, right? The military notion where actually you're relaxing the perimeters, you're relaxing the layers, and you're adding... Um, detective controls to see how they attack you and they're, they're after fortifying your core. So adding, instead of adding layers of, say, preventative, preventative controls, how about adding layers of detective controls uh, and then be able to learn from that? And and I think I, I, you're right. Probably the biggest data here is that 25%, right? As it's like everyone's a, a target, whether you've been successful or whether the attack has been successful or unsuccessful should be the differentiator, not necessarily whether you're target or not. Um, but uh, so again, it, it, it would be keen to kind of deep dive and, and drill down on these uh, um, on these uh, uh, statistics. Yeah, I would I would be very very curious to uh, also understand where these attacks are hitting, whether attempted or successful. Um, I think you know if you want to take the the military analogy, for example, um, during World War II, and they were analyzing the planes that came back after having been shot down, it took them a really long time to say, oh no, we need to actually go out and see what's causing these planes to go down and start analyzing um, how they were actually falling out of the sky. And I think there's a lot to be said in terms of doing the same analysis also amongst peers. Um, So I don't think we can just sit back anymore and say, okay, we're not going to share any of this data um, with our peers anymore because the likelihood is they're going to be suffering or have suffered similar attempts. Um, and so that also plays into, you know, how are we going to start structuring controls? And then, you know, if you want to take this completely one level higher, we can start saying, okay, let's start industrializing controls kind of on an industry level and see what's working, how, particularly in the people and processes side of things, technology is always going to differ a little bit. But how are we putting these in place and what do some of these flows look like um, to make sure that we really have a strong security posture? I want to give a shout out to uh, an organization called Finos. Um, it's spelled as uh, um, Foxtrot India, November, Oscar Sierra. I don't know why I just did that, but <laughs> Finos.org. Um, they uh, are trying to create that initiative, actually. We're trying to bring it, uh, the, the FSIs together. Uh, and they've got a number of different initiatives there. So one of those being, say, compliance infrastructure. Um, yes, it's manifesting into technical tools such as OPA or Sentinel. But the the, the real, uh, the crux of what they're trying to achieve here is that, okay, as an industry, as a financial services organization, what are the... Uh, risks uh, and corresponding controls that we need to be thinking about um, and then how would they and should they manifest. Um, there is also other things that around inner sourcing and how they want to use that as a as a movement, the inner sourcing movement to then encourage 
if you have a mature in the sourcing movement, i.e. open source behavior within uh, an organization that opens the doors towards open sourcing. And I suppose a lot of that kind of uh, people in process being open about would start eventually coming out of it. But that's an initi- initiative that I, I really uh, commend and, and um, I am keeping a very close eye on as well. Yeah, um, no, it's uh, I'll have to look yeah, to it. Definitely. Some of the banks in the Netherlands, I know, get together um, and we'll share information together about various risks and uh, regulatory concerns, et cetera. But it's good to know that that's happening on a much larger scale. I think this is, this is um, so when we did the last episode, was um, it was about the Uber hack. Um, and it was kind of like a blameless post-mortem. Um, I, I think this is the kind of thing I'm, I'm advocating more for. Like It would have been fantastic if, if someone um, from Uber would have been open to kind of coming on the show and kind of just having that same conversation with us. Um, and that's all it literally is, is a conversation. <laughs> it's definitely not a grilling. Um, I just feel like whatever happens at these organizations, um, the rest of the world can learn lessons from this. You know, if one organization faces a particular type of attack, the chances are other organizations are going to face the same threats. If there are lessons learned that that companies like Uber have implemented, um, then the rest of the world can benefit from that. Um, and and it's interesting because that, that Uber hack was so unsophisticated, um, but it just goes to show that, uh, you know, you spend all this money on, on, on fancy tooling and, and so on and so forth. But if you don't properly, properly tie the whole people processes and the technology together into a singular approach, it will fail, it will fall down. Uh, and it will be the simplest thing that, that will cause it. Um, and, you know, even that was kind of a breach in terms of access to data. Um, what, what I find interesting in this report is um, that one, one of the uh, the biggest concerns, I'm trying to find the part, is uh, one of the biggest concerns. Oh, my God, I was about to say that as well. This is, yeah, go on, go on, Rob. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just getting too excited there. <laughs> right. It's not even the data thefts, right? The, the people are more concerned with uh, cloud service failure, right? Um, and, and, you know, what's interesting about that is, you know, I, I travel around the world speaking to loads of people, giving talks or whatever. And one thing that's evident in a lot of conversations I have with people is people forget that availability is one of the core pillars of cybersecurity, right? Um but it seems that the people that have uh, responded to this survey here have not forgotten that. And in fact, that's one of the key concerns. I think some of the biggest uh, high-profile, wide-scale attacks that I remember in recent years have been DDoS attacks, which have taken down uh, percentages of the internet, which is very significant. Um, so I think that the the idea of cloud service failure uh, being the, kind of the number one concern, and by some distance as well, more than double the amount of people uh, that considered the second uh, biggest risk when it comes to cloud environments to be data theft, loss, or misuse. Um, I think that's very, very telling. Um, I'm going to let Adil speak because I know you had some thoughts on this. No, I was about to say, like, I found that interesting is that, um, that, that, again, back the number one concern being uh, availability and, and, and outage. And I almost feel like, there's a, a bleed in terms of ownership here, right? I know because there's probably a bit of risk and governance ownership around that. So where does that, as in like, who's accountable and who's responsible? And I almost feel like the accountability 
would necessarily would be probably kind of risk and governance where the responsibility or is it that way around I'm getting confused here but there is that a bit a bit of bleed there right and at which point from a security perspective like yeah you have these concerns but and I, I guess it comes from it differs from organization to organization like as an organization as an enterprise which one would have the largest impact on you is it the the data exfiltration, or is it you know being at, uh, at, without service for ten days? I, I, and I, I guess that's there's no blanket answer to that. But I, I also I just found that intriguing and interesting as well. And I want to hear Sarah's thoughts on that now. I guess it depends on what it is. To be perfectly honest, um, in terms of cloud service failure, I'm looking at like a GRC sort of governance, risk, and compliance side of things. I would expect an SLA of some kind with my cloud service provider. So where where is the balance? So if I have an SLA of, I don't know, something like five nines, um, it's going to cost me does a that lot exist? more. <laughs> In my head, it does. <laughs> In my happy place, it exists. <laughs> but it's going to take me a lot more of an investment to spin that cloud up kind of and... Uh, put that on a new cloud than it is to just eat the costs of a low probability of a whole cloud out cloud cloud outage. On the flip side, I've seen, you know, um, some CICD tooling agents go down and they've been down for five, 10 days, which means that if you want to patch something or you, you know, have a CVE across the organization and need to get in there, that's going to have to be done manually, which then that is a risk. So how do you find that balance? Um, the data theft and data loss. I would love to see a little bit more drill down on that. What is, you know, is that specifically databases that they're concerned about? Is it IP? what is the kind of data that people are concerned with losing? Because if I also look at things like insecure interfaces or poor access protection, for me, those are, if I want to target some sort of resource as an attacker, that's how I'm going to get to your data. So for me, it seems a little, it's all related to me. So I I would love to see more depth in terms of what is data theft. Well, this is the thing, right? It's interesting you say that because like, so a data theft, uh, regardless of, yeah, we can go into that in terms of there is probably a mix of IP or PII or X, Y, Z. So uh, Sarah and I, we, we went to visit a, a quantitative research organization a couple of months back and they're privately owned. And um, for the first, but they were very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A very uh, overly restrictive with regards to everything they do. And for the first time I realized they're not driven by compliance. You know, they were purely driven by IP. Um, and uh, which would have driven, which would, uh, uh, what's what I'm looking for? Drive uh, consequences or outcomes from that, right? But um, coming back to that insecure piece, I agree, I agree with, you know, Sarah here 100% is that there's a difference between risks uh, uh um or let's just say uh, an open port well what does that mean an open port if the open port leads to data loss then the risk is here here is data loss mm-hmm. right uh, as in the, the impact is being is the data loss now if that data going back to you know near to the end of the report we're saying that every endpoint should be kind of authenticated authorized with a, you know a proper identity and they also kind of mentioned the identity being you know both a human or a, a, a compute resource 
but uh, at which point how secure the interface at which point are we referring to the interface directly of that data or is it referring to say uh, the underlying and the infrastructure so there are a lot of gray areas there because that but the whole lateral movement at which point i mean i think it's, it's clear right? lateral movement is in is a consequence of only authenticating once at the the perimeter now that perimeter whether that's a network or today's world the platform you know even and there's an interesting that kind of came up in my head actually it's like is the platform now the new network? As in, like, are we authenticating once in the platform and thereafter, I don't know, I don't know Google Drive, we've authenticated Google Drive and after that, we can go into any Google Docs or Sheets or whatever it is, right? And and the same with, I don't know, AWS or something. I feel like, I, I, I probably digress here, but, you know, there are, these are thoughts that are coming to my head as well. I think um, what, what's funny is the, the cloud service failure is about availability. The data theft loss or misuse is about the other two pillars, right? It's about the confidentiality of your data and it's about the integrity of your data. The other three uh, kind of options here are insecure interfaces or transmission paths to cloud and poor access protection. These are roots to the first two. So in fact, we're talking about the three pillars of cybersecurity for the first two. And then the other three are uh, the, the way that you're going to uh, breach that, that that whole model there. Uh, so I think it's it's quite interesting that um, you know when we think about poor access protection, that can also be uh, combined with insider threat, right? That's the the two can be the same thing. Uh, the same yeah. with insecure interfaces and transmissions and so on and so forth. You can have decent access controls, but if an insider knows how to uh, intercept uh, some of these transmissions, they can do some stuff with that, right? Um, so I think what we have to be careful about when we, we look at, at these kind of things is not to take a binary view on this as to inside a threat, it's that or it's something else. It can be that in addition to port access management because of uh, insecure interfaces. You're leading or, to inside a threat, yeah. Exactly, yeah. You can you can mix that up in whatever kind of threat salad you want, right? Uh, and it can go... Also, the definition of... Also, the definition of insider threat, right? As in, like, insider threat doesn't have to be a rogue user. It can also be human error. As in, like, end of the day, it's still a threat, as exactly. it, you know, even if out of human error, right? I always say you have to put systems in place to protect yourself from yourself. And that's like, you know, you've got the disgruntled employee. That's probably uh, people's biggest fear. Uh, but actually, what's probably more likely is a mistake because we are human, right? Um, it happens. I think I've, that's the I've scary done. thing with the cloud, right? Is that it becomes all of us that are enabling the world's resources. And I can't consider myself infallible for sure. <laughs> I've definitely, you know, brought down a system in my career because, you know, I made a typo or I forgot a comma, like something stupid and really, really small. And so, again, I think bringing this back to that whole industrialization thing if you industrialize, you're really protecting yourself also because you can ensure that that's repeatable and you don't have as many options for misconfiguration or specialty security controls, basically. Well, my favorite one is as a developer, you commit API keys or something to GitHub by accident. Oh, yeah, I've done you that. Know, I've done it. <laughs> many and I'll never forget, it's happened to me twice, actually. Um, so the first time... Um, it wasn't actually me, it was a colleague of mine, right? But it was kind of mine bad because I, I forgot to add um, the git ignore file to the commit, right? Um, but basically, 
we committed the code and we went for lunch. We weren't even sat down yet, so it had not even been five minutes. And we started getting email from, I think it was AWS, talking about cloud spend or something like that. We are like, hey, what's going on? Oh, no. It was so quick. It's like someone wrote a bot to look out for this, right? Um, and boy, they went to work. Like <laughs> It was so quick. But that's how common it is, right? Right. It is so common that AWS has written a bot, and I think GitHub now has a whole new yeah. feature uniquely for detecting secrets that have been pushed into repositories. I've got one last question. Sorry, let, let me just dive in. My second one was, um, I can remember I was, I was doing some consultancy work in Bristol and I was messing around with something and then I got the same thing. I pushed some API keys for, I think it was Azure this time. And the second I pushed it, I got an email from Azure to say, we detected API keys on a public GitHub um, they, I think they disabled the key automatically. <laughs> I thought that was neat. I, I really respected that. And they were like, yeah, yeah. you can remove that. Uh, and they start giving you all these tips and advice as to how to avoid those things here. But I tell you what, if and this goes to show, if you don't put systems in place to protect yourself from yourself, you are going to do pebcack things, right? You you are going to make mistakes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's as simple as that, you know? I, I was trying to solve a difficult problem. I'd been at it for hours. My brain was tired. It was probably 11 o'clock at night and it finally worked. I was like, oh, yeah, let me push that so that I don't lose it. Um, yeah, it's it's one of those things, man. But yeah, sorry, I do. I, I cut you off there. No, no, go on. I was going to say, just to echo what you're saying, that the human is the only factor that is uh, volatile and, and is, a, is a variable, right? Everything else can always be drilled down to some kind of constant. Um, but yeah, I've got one last question, right? I wanted to ask you know, both of you, actually, what are your thoughts on this? It says it here, 18% of companies say that they have problems choosing the right provider. So that got me uh, um, uh, thinking again back to uh, what is zero trust and why, are we, you know, why is the question coming up around the provider? But then following on from that, um, I think if we redefine provider to be a partner let's just say it's one of the things following on for that says companies should therefore consider in advance what the aim of zero trust should be and how providers slash partners can help with achieving this goal questions concern user friendliness deployment models industry specific knowledge or tech partners should be taken into account uh into in, in the considerations um so as a, from a vendor perspective you know again i think this comes back drives back home to actually Rob's original question as a as a you know, what are we supposed to do about that and what are your thoughts on this on this uh, uh, part of that report I think it's I our responsibility to be really clear about what is zero trust you ask 10 different vendors what zero trust is you're going to get 13 different answers um, so really going back and making sure that we're discussing with our customers, you know, what is zero trust? Zero trust is laid out by NIST and zero trust has to do with trust nothing, authenticate everything, follow that principle of least privilege, make sure everything is time bound, context bound, and that you have proper observability. Once that's defined, it becomes a lot easier to say, okay, this is how we go about it. This is our vision. This is how we can help you. And again, it's not about solving for every single little tiny technical detail. It's about how do you need this to work for you over the breadth of your organization, no matter how detailed it is or how deep those orgs go so that everybody can can follow this and make sure that they have a direction when it comes to 
implementing and the technologies that you already have embedded within your organization and incorporating those hopefully as transparently as possible. We, um, we need to not give people fish, right? We need to teach them how to fish. Um, people need to think for themselves because only they understand their specific domain and their, their business model and, and the individual nuances. But what we need is for them to think about these problems with the perspective of what the threats are and what tools are available to protect them from these threats, right? And when I say tools, I go beyond the technology. I'm thinking tools in terms of our strategy. I'm thinking tools in terms of our education, tools in terms of our processes to, to uh, you know, extract maximum value from the cloud, but keep us as safe as possible. Um, there are organizations out there who have uh, zero trust security strategies implemented in a way that works specific for them. But then if I take that exact same strategy and then give it to a different organization, it has plenty of, of pitfalls in there because maybe uh, it's protected against uh, threats that just don't exist for this company. And the cost of that is productivity, for example, or, uh, you know, there are so many different things. Um, security is never absolute. It's, uh, it's always the balance in that between that and, uh, you know, productivity, uh, and obviously the operational overhead as well. You're always trying to find where that balance is and where that line lays is different for each organization. So the selection of the right partners or, or providers is, um, it's interesting just because, <laughs> you know, if you kind of know what a company stands for, you know what their their tooling is capable of, you understand how they think about, you know, like a HashiCorp, for example. Um, I think if you are a user of our open source tools or our enterprise tools, you, you have a very good idea as to how we as an organization think about the problems, right? Uh, so you can turn around as an organization and say, uh, does the way that HashiCorp think about uh, zero trust security align with the way that we think about it, the way that we see our problems. And if so, partnering up with a company like HashiCorp is probably going to be beneficial to our, our efforts because as, as the, the landscape evolves, as our threats evolve, so too will their, their products uh, and, and technology uh, and and that's that's the key thing. So actually, the the 18% that are struggling to find the right partners, it, it almost tells me that they understand the problem like pretty well. It, it almost tells me that they they're not just getting into bed with with uh, HashiCorp or or CyberArk or whoever the company is just because so and so that they met at this this tech award dinner uh, is using them and singing their praises. They understand that no, this has to be a partnership has to be mutually beneficial, right? Um, you know, uh, when I when I was a consultant, uh, there are companies out there that, you know, I did some work for, and I I ended up walking away from that because as you as you look at how they approach their problems and you look at my approach to the problems, it's just not a good fit. So uh, you, you the partnership just can't be there. Um, same with cloud providers. At the end of the day, like anytime you're going to put workloads on on the cloud, whatever cloud provider you choose, you're not choosing a cloud. You're choosing a technology partner. They have to align with your business goals. Um, 
So that 18% is, for me, I, I look at them and say, oh, I'd like to learn more about their use cases because um, it tells me that they understand their use cases and they are looking for the right partners and it's rarely going to be a singular mm. partner. Uh, normally, it's a combination of different things that are going to give you the business value you're looking for from this. Um, but that, that that's an interesting take. Interesting. So that's an interesting take you, you said about the fact that the, 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 they're looking for the right partner, or the fact that they realise right. You know, that's a good, you can see that as a good thing. Uh, the take I was having is more rather like I was thinking eighty percent sounds low because every time I've spoken to an organisation or even my own experience, right, um, where. Uh, in my pro- uh, former role, I've helped you know bring TFE in, bring Vault Enterprise in, um, bringing Vault into production wasn't it, it was the easiest thing in comparison to strategically thinking about how do I embed and uh, and uh, increase that kind of a, a adoption and consumption of of, of secret management and or, and rightly introduced uh, um, enterprise wide org wide right and these are the struggles like. Even now, when I'm speaking to orgs, they're like saying everyone's heard of zero trust, but not everyone knows and understands. Okay, what does year one look like in my five year plan for zero trust? You know, what does year two look like? And I almost feel like eighteen percent seems quite low. Or maybe, actually, if we were to dig deeper on that, that probably could be a higher number. Uh, but I do like I like your take on that, Robin. That actually, that the fact that they're looking almost is that you can you know you put in a positive spin to that as well. No, it is, it is a low number. Let's let's not uh, convolute that. It is a low number, but I'm saying of those those people, that low number are the ones, in my opinion, that are thinking correctly, right? They're, they're understanding their problems. I just need that number to be higher for the same reasons that, that I've, I've stated. Um, and I think conversations like this, you know, um, uh, are hopefully going to help people kind of go away and look at their problems uh, in a new light and and come with a an understanding that is going to enable them to ask the right questions. That's all it is, mm-hmm. is asking the right questions, right? The questions mm-hmm. that one organization has to ask is not the same questions that the next one has to ask. So you have to figure out is, what is our biggest problem? You know, mm-hmm. when you listen to other people's case studies, think to yourself, what about this can we relate to? And what about this is not so relevant to us? And just focus on what's valuable to you, um, I wouldn't say discard the rest, but don't put too much time, effort, energy, or money into into the rest. Um, you never know where your problems are going to lead in the future as you grow and evolve. So discarding it is uh, it, it it can be a foolish approach. But um, you know, just focus on what's valuable to you. I think also to your point in terms of people, um, when I go in and speak with customers, the first conversations that we have, it's purely strategy. You know, what is your strategy? going into the future what do you want that to look like in a year five years ten years ten years being really long and we know that we're probably going to deviate before we ever get there but at least having that super long-term goal in mind helps you play the rest out but then also what do the people and processes look like leading up to that what is important to you what are the workflows that you need to make sure that you maintain across all of this once we've established all of those things the goals team structure etc then we can start looking at, okay, this is what you need to com- start contemplating in terms of just high-level architecture even. So really starting at that top and dr- drilling it down, I think also helps you identify what kind of partners do you need to be looking at? What are the things that are important to you and how do you do that? Awesome. Okay, so uh, we are coming up to the hour mark. So we are going to wrap this up. Um, so I think 
if we kind of just do a quick round table of just kind of our, our concluding thoughts, a, a summary of, of uh, what we think that we've learned from, from this year's survey. Um, we'll start with you, Adil. Um, so I think one thing that I've, I've found interesting is the re- report um, is now focusing on uh, anemia. And um, uh, I think that's a, a good, good uh, uh i'm embracing it and i'm encouraging it because of the region to region these differ right and organizations in, in uh even in in this report it mentioned that within region within emir region there was different levels of maturity so like uk and france were a lot more mature say over uh say benelu and such so um that was the first takeaway for me um and the second takeaway i feel like this for in reflecting also kind of for 2022 the 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 definition of zero trust is is now molding into uh, something a bit more definite or absolute rather uh, where earlier in the year you know Rob you and I we've talked about this you know oh yeah things are zero trust or whatever right but I think that's becoming more and more clear now as to uh, and I think to Sarah's point a lot of it is probably driven by you know uh, unfortunate events but th- these are really kind of honing down into that definition and that report uh, you know pleasantly surprised that it's it's now actually uh, i will say um less uh, unambiguous or sorry less ambiguous more uh with more clarity so uh, that was my take definitely um and you sir for me i think two things really jump out at me one is the observability standpoint um that we probably need better observability within our ecosystems um, to be able to detect um, attacks or attempted attacks. And then I guess the other one for me is um, the availability concern. So I really like how you broke that down in terms of CIA and where those things fall. Um, so really looking into you know how can we make sure that at least from our standpoint and when rolling our own ecosystems and building our own ecosystems, how can we ensure that availability? Um, and then also, obviously, confidentiality and integrity are also really important. Um, but it does seem like availability is a, a major one here. Um, and then just looking forward to seeing an uptick in maturity. I think we, this um, the survey shows that there's definitely room for improvement. Um, I'm optimistic about how mature it appears to be um but i am really looking forward to seeing that grow and grow into you know more of that kind of zero trust idea where we're not trusting anything and everything is identity based and we're authenticating everything definitely i think for me i i definitely share the thoughts of both of you uh so we'll start with adil's thoughts about the the regional focus um you know, I tend to find, you know, I'm, I'm Ghanaian, I'm from, I'm from West Africa. And in terms of our maturity with, with the cloud, it's, it's a very different challenge to what we face in Europe. Um, you know, we also have uh, legislation which changes our thinking about um, data and cloud and so on and so forth. Uh, this also differentiates from America, uh, uh, Asia Pac. You know, all these different regions have have their own tra- challenges and their own uh, considerations that they need to kind of bring to the forefront. So uh, that was definitely one of my thoughts. And uh, I definitely echo everything that Sarah said uh, in terms of, of some of the, the key takeaways. I think um, for me, the, the biggest thing I take away from this is, you know, we, we speak about education and upskilling a lot 
Uh, we spoke about that um, during the State of the Cloud Survey uh, podcast last year. Um, but a lot of the focus was mainly on the engineering stuff and, uh, you know, the, the people that are actually going to be doing the day-to-day running and management of technology. One thing that we didn't really discuss last year, which I think this year has been evident that that we need to put a bit more focus into is upskilling those who are responsible and or accountable for the strategic direction of uh cloud implementation and its security concerns right i think um the 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 numbers that we're seeing here are interesting in so many different lights i think uh, like i say conversations like this will help but i think that now uh you know uh, apart from listening to conversations like this uh speaking to other uh c-level people or other people who are responsible for these things and understanding their thinking. So not just asking, oh, what is your strategy and how have you done this? More importantly, ask why, right? Because the why will give you the context as to how um, that they they did certain things. And then when you're asking why, then kind of ask yourself the same. Why or why not um, sometimes? So I think what what I take from this is as as, uh, software vendors, HashiCorp, all the big clouds, uh, any other software vendors out there, it's uh, super important that we continue to speak not only at uh, the engineering level, but also at the strategic level. We need to share a unified message as to uh, what zero trust security is, why it's important. You know, we have to remove it from being a buzzword and actually put something really meaningful behind it for more organizations. Um, and I think that has to be our mission in 2023. By the time this State of the Cloud survey comes out uh, next year, I would hope that uh, the numbers are looking like as as software vendors, uh, and no one is exempt from this. If if you're building software or tooling that is is helping organizations achieve their business goals, then you have a responsibility here to help upskill uh, these organizations and help them learn how to fish. Don't give them fish, give them the skills. Right? Uh, you're responsible, just as we are. Um, this this is not competition. This is just pure facts. Um, if if it hurts one of us, it hurts all of us. So I think that's the key takeaway that um, I'm getting from this survey here, which is super interesting. And the funny thing is, you know, we've been speaking for over an hour, and I don't even think we even got into the weeds of some of the things that are, that are in this report. So you know, I'll leave a link to this report in the show notes. Uh, definitely take the time to read it, delve into it. If you have any thoughts, uh, reach out to us. Um, you know, our, our Twitter handles will also be in the show notes as well. So you can share some thoughts with us. And uh, if you'd ever like to come on the show and discuss some of these things, uh, please do reach out. We will be happy to host you. Um, that about wraps up episode 12. Uh, it was a fun one. Um, Sarah, it sounded like you might have to be the third co-host, you know? <laughs> I can't oh, no. about it. I'm telling you, it was like, honestly, it sounds like it was such a natural, right? It's like, you know what? Yeah. That even though I was talking about that joke about Batgirl. And it's so fitting with our with our private joke as well, right? You know, we've got Bruce, we've got Robin, now we have Batgirl. Batgirl. Yeah. Man. You know, who knows? Who knows what the new year will bring, right? Definitely, definitely. I get my people to speak to your people, you know. Like then we'll just take it from there. <laughs> Let me know your age. Sounds good. Emails. <laughs> with a signing on fee though <laughs> all right those are steep terms 
<laughs> Matt, it's been a pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Uh, I look Thank you so much for again. having me on. Um, that's been Keeping It Secure, episode 12. Uh, so you, like I said, you're probably listening to this in the new year. So I hope you had a good holidays and ready to kick off the year, uh, you know, on a new mission to further help keeping it secure. Peace. You've been listening to Keeping It Secure with your host, DevOps Rob and DevOps Adil. Be sure to join us next time 